It is midday on the Rural Radio Network as we move headlong into a full hour and a half or more of information that you need here on the Rural Radio Network. Glad to have you with us, and coming up we'll have plenty of ag information. We unfortunately don't have an ag spokesman with us here at the moment here at the roundtable desk, but we will let you know that coming up at 1245 today, Nebraska's Farm Bureau has uh, talking on their recent research into CORUS, the South Korea-U.S. Free Trade Agreement, and uh, the Nebraska Farm Bureau president is going to be telling us how important that international trade is to ag producers. And uh, we're going to also be talking with economist Jay Rempe, who follows through with the findings in CORUS. Nebraska uh, Director of National Affairs for the Farm Bureau will also be talking with us about the purpose of those trade deals and what the U.S. hopes to accomplish with the CORUS talks. That is, of course, Jordan Ducks, who will be uh, checking in with us a little bit later here on the midday program. Uh, Susan Littlefield, of course, in Anaheim for the Commodity Classic, and we have other people spread across the uh, globe far and wide to bring us those, the rest of the information that you'll be hearing agwise here on the program today. We move on over to Jason Jorgensen in sports. I understand that there was a, a Superman sighting in Fremont. Is that true? That is true. Hmm. Former Husker, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Eric Crouch, He's done a little bit of this and a little bit of that since uh, graduating from Nebraska. He is going to be one of the new assistant coach, coaches at Midland. Gee, will he be coaching the quarterbacks, do you he think? He will, and running backs. <laughs> yeah, so, well, uh, he, can do it, uh, he can do it all, that's for sure. Of course, sure. there is a big-time Husker connection there. Former Husker player and coach Jeff Jamrog has okay. been the coach there at uh, Midland for the last couple of years or so. So that's uh, kind of the connection is... Eric dips his toe into the coaching waters, so we'll see what that eventually leads to. Well, you thought it could be a whole career after that. You never know. Also, speaking of coaches, of course, uh, Amy Williams done a wonderful job with the Huskers, and she was certainly rewarded with that yesterday, being named the Big Ten Coach of the Year by not only the coaches, but also the media. When your team goes from last to third, yeah. and you see a 13-game improvement, People tend to notice. That's a pretty good jump on the board there. <laughs> yeah. But even she will tell you they didn't know how how much better they would be this year. I think they've been a little surprised with how well things have gone. We will get her thoughts about that. Speaking of basketball, GPAC men's and women's basketball tournaments will wrap up tonight with an automatic bid to the NAIA National Tournament on the line. So we'll give you the lowdown on that. So right. a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Also, district basketball Wraps up across the state tonight for the boys in classes D1 and D2. What a real good rivalries out there. There are some uh, some big games. So at the end of tonight, then the NSAA, they will seed the boys' tournament for next week. Very good. And Bob Brogan in on sports. sports. (laughs) Speak to us on sports, Bob. I'd also like to do do snow futures, too. And and they're decreasing right now as we speak. So stocks are slipping because Jerome Powell, when he speaks, people listen. He is saying that uh, the economy is moving right along, and so there might be a bump in interest rates here soon. So that's probably one of the biggest things going on today. And uh, other than that, the snow futures continue to go down. That economy is melting down, as we say. It is uh, midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
bring in Paul Perkins here and give you some ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. I understand that there are some golf courses that are actually opening early. I went and doubt it, especially in eastern Kansas. They have temperatures right now in the low 60s currently. <laughs> we are seeing a big swing in the temperatures right now across the area. Anywhere from 25 at Chadron to as warm as 59 in the southeast corner of Nebraska at Falls City and 61 over northeast Kansas and 64 right now in Manhattan, Kansas currently. I stand corrected. (laughs) But they are on the warmer side of a cold front that's slowly tracking towards the south. We have temperatures across west central and southwest Nebraska in the low and mid 40s, mid to upper 40s in much of central Nebraska. Some low, uh, make that just the 50s across uh, northern Kansas this morning and some mid 40s on into northeast Colorado, Colorado. That cold front slowly tracking towards the south. Slightly cooler conditions today thanks to the slow passage of that front. And once again, that big swing in temperatures across the area from north to south, looking at temperatures anywhere from about 30 to 35 degrees colder to warmer than what you're seeing from north to south. Cloud cover increases for tonight on into tomorrow morning as an area of low pressure, a weak area of low pressure tracks east. Could see some drizzle or freezing drizzle, but mainly in central and east Kansas on on into eastern Nebraska. High pressure pushes in from the northwest tomorrow afternoon. That'll start to clear out the skies. A ridge of high pressure taking hold for the end of the week. That'll begin a warming trend, especially as we head towards Friday and Saturday, our warmest of the next seven days when we see highs into the 50s and the 60s. Our temperatures cool down by Sunday and early next week thanks to a cold front beginning to drop south. Rain and snow are going to be possible for Saturday night and Sunday as some low-pressure tracks through the region. Looks like our better chance of coming on Sunday night. In our long-term forecast, those temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to start seasonal to slightly cooler than normal for the early part of next week. Then that likelihood increases for colder than normal temperatures the middle of next week through March 12th. Currently, it looks like it's going to be slightly colder than normal and not overly cold in that time period. Our precipitation outlook expects near normal to slightly above normal precipitation early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. That outlook trends near normal to drier than normal the middle of next week through the 12th. Weather factors in the markets include continued dryness in Argentina, limited rain for the southern plains, and more rain for central Brazil in the next two days. Heavy rain will redevelop across parts of the south, as well as the central and eastern Corn Belt. Additional flooding expected in areas already experiencing soil saturation. Mid to late week snow expected from the northern Corn Belt into the northeast U.S. Dry weather, though, will persist through the end of the week on the central and southern high plains. That dry pattern in the southern plains wheat areas expected to continue for at least the next 10 days. The portion of the wheat crop rated very poor to poor includes 78% in Oklahoma, 73% in Texas, and 49% very poor to poor in Kansas. It will also remain mostly dry in major corn and soybean areas of Argentina where crop losses are occurring. Showers may fall sometime in the next seven days, but it's not going to be enough to reverse the extended dry trend. Across Brazil, delays in soybean harvest and second crop corn planting continue in Mato Grosso. Conditions in the south part of Brazil are drier and generally favorable for filling, maturing, and early harvest of soybeans. Winter grain, winter grain damage in Europe, Ukraine, and West, West Russia is likely to be minimal after they experienced a bitter cold wave. Farther west, though, in Germany, France, and England, the well below normal cold bears some watching, but right at this point, 
it doesn't appear that it will be cold enough to harm their winter wheat. Looks like that dryness here in this country and all across the world really is driving the conversation in the markets. Yeah, definitely uh, putting some upward pressure on everything, of course, especially in the wheat market as things continue to not look good down to the south. Ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. And so for the next uh, couple of days, uh, easy as she goes, I guess. And we have just a... where is this freezing drizzle possibility more relevant here? Mainly, uh, it's going to be maybe late tonight, early tomorrow morning, and probably over eastern Nebraska, central and east Kansas. Most of us going to stay dry, just see an increase in clog cover. Overall, I would say winter losing its grip, but it's just going to be slightly cooler the next normal next week as we see that maybe an extended period of cooler weather. All right. When you see, uh, when you need weather anytime, you can go to krvn.com. UNL looks to close one of its agriculture laboratories. A federal judge says the California labeling requirements on a commonly used herbicide was false and misleading, and renewable fuel standards meetings in Washington continue to keep people guessing. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. The University of Nebraska is looking to possibly close its Haskell Ag Lab to save nearly a million dollars. The University of Nebraska may close the Ag Laboratory to save a million dollars a year. This is coming from the Sioux City Journal, who's reporting that the closing of the 328-acre Haskell Laboratory outside Concord is among $9 million in proposed budget cuts put forward by the university president, Hank Bounds, as Governor Pete Ricketts requested that UNL start backing off on its annual budget. Researchers have studied crop and livestock production, crop nutrition, irrigation and water management, soil science, and weed disease, as well as pest management at the lab for years. Mike Bame is vice chancellor of the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources, which oversees the Haskell Laboratory. He says that while Haskell has had positive effects in northeast Nebraska, the lab is at the top of the proposed cut list because the university doesn't own the land and the $1.5 million is needed in maintenance and improvements annually. In other ag news, a federal judge has blocked a California Proposition 65 requirement that would require products that may contain glyphosate must include a warning label stating the chemical is known to cause cancer. The requirement, which was set to take effect in July, was challenged by a number of agriculture groups as well as attorney generals in 11 different states. In an opinion handed down yesterday by U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California, Judge William B. Shubb said the state's requirement would run contrary to a broader body of science on glyphosate. Judge Shubb went on to say, on the evidence before the court, the required warning for glyphosate does not appear to be factually accurate and uncontroversial because it conveys the message that glyphosate may cause cancer is an undisputed fact. When almost all other regulatory bodies have concluded that there is insufficient evidence to say that glyphosate causes cancer. It is inherently misleading for a warning to state that a chemical is known to to the state of California to cause cancer based on the finding of one organization. However, where California seeks to compel businesses to provide cancer warnings, the warnings must be factually accurate and not misleading. As applied to glyphosate, the required warnings are false and misleading. The vast body of scientific research done on the chemical has not found a direct link between glyphosate and human cancers. At the end of December 2017, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency announced in its draft risk assessment of glyphosate that the herbicide is not likely to be carcinogenic to humans. 
Finally, yesterday, the President and Vice President Mike Pence met with U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue and U.S. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt reportedly to discuss a number of potential changes to the RFS. Politico has reported that Purdue and Pruitt are planning to propose capping the price of renewable identification numbers, or RINs, among other proposals. Today, another meeting has taken place at the White House with Senators Ted Cruz, Charles Grassley, Joni Ernst, and Pat Tomey, along with Purdue and Pruitt, to discuss the RFS. Just minutes after the meeting had concluded, Senator Chuck Grassley took to Twitter, saying that he had just left the White House meeting on the renewable fuel standard. He also said it was the same discussion again and that no deal was made. The renewable fuel standard program design has been destroyed by the RENCAP waiver, and this is not a win-win situation promised, and it could destroy ethanol demand, making the benefits of the renewable fuels program useless. While the game of political chess continues on the renewable fuel standards, hopefully there is common ground to be found, and to be found soon. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row, and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. The wheat market has seen a jump in prices recently, as the expected moisture in Kansas and Oklahoma didn't amount to much. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Jason Nielsen, meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Goodland, Kansas, gives us an idea of how much moisture they did get. A lot less in terms of we were going two to four inches of snow with some freezing rain over a good portion of the area, and we received a, a lot less. We picked up a hundredth of an inch of precipitation, a tenth of an inch of snow. Nielsen says the moisture did little to help ground soil moisture. Ground soil conditions are still pretty dry. Frost depth is still down to six inches, so anything that went in may have gone in just barely into the soil before evaporating because Saturday the sun came out pretty quick and dried things up. The month so far, we have 0.61 for liquid precipitation. We're still about 0.18 inches above normal, so we're, we're barely above normal for the month. For the year, we're almost a half inch above normal. Roy Shaneman, executive director of the Nebraska Wheat Board, says the dry conditions are not only affecting the southern wheat belt, but stretching into Nebraska. Especially in the southern Great Plains, uh, where the majority of our, our hard red winter wheat crop is grown, the conditions have been dry for an extended period of time through the winter. I know through the panhandle of Texas, central parts of Oklahoma, and the central and western parts of, of Kansas have been extremely dry. Subsoil moisture uh, is very low, and we're even seeing you know, some of those effects in south-central Nebraska uh, that we've got some dryness, maybe not to the extent that they're seeing, and that's you know, helping the, the wheat price uh, gain a little bit because of the uncertainty of that crop going forward. The U.S. is not the only country where dry conditions are affecting the wheat. In Argentina, wheat growers are also hoping for rain. Shaneman says agriculture is global and the markets are affected by national and international changes. Any effects in major wheat growing regions around the world will have a significant impact on our producers in Nebraska and you see that in Argentina. That is a unique situation as they're in the Mercosur uh, trading group. So Argentina and Brazil and Uruguay have a trade agreement where Argentina is a big supplier of wheat to those countries. The thing that would look attractive to Nebraska producers is hard red winter wheat would flow uh, nicely into those markets and the products that they produce. So if Argentina does have some kind of crop failure, 
U.S. hard red winter wheat would be probably the number one source to to fill in that market, and that would certainly help our producers here in Nebraska. Shaneman says it's hard to say how long the bump in the wheat market will last with so many variables, especially in terms of the weather. You know, the things that we need to watch out for going forward, if moisture comes in, you know, what are the temperatures going to be like when that moisture does come? Uh, If we go right into a a freezing rain situation, uh, that could be pretty detrimental as well because the crop isn't covered or insulated with a layer of snow. Uh, So different factors on how that moisture comes in, what are the temperatures when the moisture does come, uh, what form it's in. You know, there is a lot of concern uh, in the wheat market right now. The next possibility of rain for Kansas or the southern areas of Nebraska will likely be early next week, according to Nielsen at the National Weather Service in Goodland, Kansas. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, former Husker star Eric Crouch, the 2001 Heisman Trophy winner, has been hired as an assistant football coach at Midland University. Midland announced this week that Crouch will coach running backs and special teams. School in Fremont is coached by Jeff Jamrog, a former Husker himself, who was the Huskers' defensive line coach when Crouch was a player. The 39-year-old Crouch was quarterback for the Huskers in the 2001 national title game, and the St. Louis Rams drafted him in the third round in 2002 as a receiver. Now he never went on to play in an NFL regular season game. He lives in Omaha and has worked in sales and medical and recreation equipment in recent years. Nebraska's Amy Williams has been named the Big Ten Women's Basketball Coach of the Year in a vote of conference media and coaches. Williams' honor was announced this week. She has led one of the nation's top turnarounds, guiding the Huskers to a 20-9 overall record that included an 11-5 conference mark. Nebraska's made a 13-game improvement in the win column after winning just seven games a year ago. But even Williams admits she didn't see this type of turnaround coming. You know, we didn't really know exactly probably last October what to see going forward for this particular team and and, uh, there were a lot of changes and and, um, adjustments and things to our roster and and so I think um, it was kind of up in the air for everybody. Nebraska will play in the quarterfinals of the Big Ten Tournament on Friday night. The GPAC Women's and Men's Basketball Championships will be decided tonight. On the women's side of things, top seed in Concordia will host Dakota Wesleyan at 7. The men's title matchup has Morningside, who's 25 at 6 on the year, hosting 25-5 and Northwestern. The U.S. Open is changing to a two-hole aggregate playoff, the last of the four majors to do away with the 18-hole playoff format. That change takes effect immediately and would be used at Shinnecock Hills on Long Island in June if there's a tie after 72 holes. The U.S. Golf Association also decided to make it the other three Open Championships two-hole playoffs, that being the U.S. Women's Open, the U.S. Senior Open, and the U.S. Senior Women's Open. Major League Baseball Players Association has filed a grievance against the Miami Marlins, Oakland A's, Pittsburgh Pirates, and Tampa Bay Rays, accusing the teams of failing to appropriately spend revenue-sharing money. The union says the grievance was filed Friday. Major League Baseball says the complaint has no merit. The grievance was first reported by the Tampa Bay Times. And district finals wrap up tonight in the state of Nebraska boys basketball in classes D1 and D2. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
A slight chance of freezing drizzle in central and eastern areas of Nebraska tonight, otherwise partly cloudy with overnight lows in the 20s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A semi-trailer driver died after his big rig ran off a state highway in eastern Nebraska and crashed into a creek bank. It occurred a little before 2 p.m. yesterday on Nebraska Highway 15, about six miles north of Schuyler. Colfax County authorities say that the northbound truck came up on a northbound tractor pulling a feed wagon. The truck was trying to pass the tractor and wagon on the left when the tractor began to turn left. The truck veered off the highway into a field and crashed into a creek bank. The truck driver was pronounced dead at a Schuyler hospital. The driver's name hasn't been released. An autopsy has been ordered. A mother and her 14-year-old son have died in a collision in northwest Nebraska's Sheridan County. It occurred around 7.30 Friday evening, three miles west of Rushville on U.S. Highway 20. Sheridan County attorney Jamie N. Simmons says a westbound vehicle was struck by an eastbound vehicle driven by 31-year-old William Hilton, who was trying to pass a semi-trailer. Simmons says a crash killed 46-year-old Linnell Cash of Hay Springs and her son, Waylon Cash, and injured another family member who was not named. Hilton also was injured. A bill designed to curb prescription painkiller abuse is drawing strong support from Nebraska lawmakers who say it will prevent overdose deaths. Senator Sarah Howard of Omaha said the measure would prevent doctors from prescribing more than a seven-day supply of opioids to patients under 19. Senator Howard introduced the bill in honor of her sister, who died of an opioid overdose in 2009. It actually is a cap on the number of days that a physician can prescribe narcotic medication to a child. It seems like a logical thing, right? We wouldn't give narcotic medications to a child for more than a week, or we would try to avoid it entirely. Uh, but there are some physicians out there who are still um, giving a month's worth just to be on the safe side. And that means that there's a lot of uh, the potential for diversion or overuse or misuse. Photo identification would be required to pick up the prescriptions, and doctors would need to warn patients about the risk of addiction and overdose. The major advanced 38-0 to zero to the second of three required votes. State officials must pay more than $197,000 to the American Civil Liberties Union of Nebraska after the group successfully challenged a ban on same-sex couples serving as foster parents. The payment request presented to a legislative committee would reimburse the ACLU of Nebraska for attorney fees and costs generated during the case. The ACLU of Nebraska filed a lawsuit in 2013 on behalf of three same-sex couples. Put our app on your phone and listen to podcasts and on-demand audio on your schedule. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. International trade deals have been a hot topic in agriculture for well over the last year. President Trump followed through on his campaign promise by withdrawing the U.S. from the TPP and then started to work renegotiating NAFTA. Both of these events have drawn criticism and backlash from leaders in the agriculture community. One trade deal that has not been highly publicized has been CORUS, or the South Korea-U.S. Free Trade Agreement. Before CORUS possibly comes the next trade deal to be negotiated, Nebraska Farm Bureau decided to see just how important CORUS was to Nebraska ag producers. The information was just recently released at a press conference, and Nebraska Farm Bureau President Steve Nelson opened the conference by talking about how important international trade is to the U.S. 
As you all know, international trade is critical to Nebraska agriculture. Today, roughly 31% of U.S. gross farm income is dependent on trade. And, and, and again, a, a, a figure that I think we're all aware of, that nearly 96% of the world's population lives outside of the United States. And so it points out how important moving Nebraska's products around uh, the world are. Uh, the the demand for uh, meats and grains around the world is growing, and of course the number uh, of potential customers for Nebraska products is growing as well. Jay Rempe, Senior Economist for Nebraska Farm Bureau, followed Steve to talk about the findings of the Chorus and Nebraska Agriculture Report. We do have a, an agreement, it's known as Chorus, uh, it's a free trade agreement with South Korea that we, the United States, entered into in 2012. And since then, we've seen a rapid growth in trade uh, in agricultural products with South Korea uh, for the U.S. in general, but also Nebraska in particular. And just to give you an example of of the type of growth we've experienced, if you look at the three years prior to the agreement being enacted, uh, the average sales of agricultural goods to South Korea was $210 million from Nebraska. In the last three years, uh, the average has been $321 million. So that's a 52% increase from before and after. So we are seeing a benefit. In uh, 2016, uh, exports to South Korea from Nebraska equaled uh, $340 million. And so South Korea now has grown to be our fifth largest customer in, uh, for Nebraska egg products. And so it is growing in importance and, and uh, no doubt due in part to the the free trade agreement, and to give an example, beef and pork are our two largest exports products to to South Korea. In 2016, beef exports accounted for $221 million, and pork exports for $39 million. There's also some exports of some distillers' grains and corn, but the two biggest ones are, are beef and pork. And when you look at the tariff schedule for those, the tariffs are the taxes that, that South Korea would put on imports of U.S. beef or Nebraska beef. Prior to the agreement on both, on beef, it was 40%. Right now, that's dropped to 21, almost 21%. And in 2022, that's going to drop to just under 11%. Tariff rates are a large part of any international trade deal, and Nebraska Farm Bureau Director of International Affairs, Jordan Ducks, explains what countries hope to accomplish with trade deals and tariffs. Important as to why we do these agreements to begin with, which is to get tariffs down to zero. That makes U.S. ag products more competitive um, on the shelves as they as, as we get our products there. And so in terms of boosting our, our exports to countries. I mean, that's why we so strongly advocate for free trade agreements because it brings tariffs, if not down to zero, which is our end goal, um, but greatly reduces them. And so, you know, U.S. products as compared to maybe domestically produced products or products coming in from other countries, it puts us at least on a level playing field, if not at a competitive advantage when it comes to price. Um, and so that's why, you know, if you look at these tariff schedules, they're, they're a long, I mean, they're, they're not a short timeline, 
but certainly as we get into these agreements and you let them operate, you let them work, and we you know, bring the tariffs down, that will ultimately make U.S. ag products more competitive, and I think you um, could very easily see um, an increase in, in those. But also it's important to note that South Korea and a lot of countries that we've done business with are looking outside and looking past the United States as well. And so when you see... Um, South Korea, that agreement is always being held up as maybe not as beneficial as, as what we had originally anticipated. Some of that, at least, can be due to the fact that the United States waited a long time to pass that agreement. That agreement sat on the shelf, fully negotiated and fully done for a long time before it was passed, and other countries came in and passed free trade agreements, you know, kind of underneath of us. And so their tariff schedules, the reduction of their tariff schedules, uh, you know, started, but the clock started with them before ours. So, um, we continue to try to, you know, urge the administration, urge everybody to come up with the agreements as quickly as possible because that's how we grow the ag economy in this state. That's how we find more customers is that we, our products are more competitive on the shelves if we can reduce tariffs, you know, globally. While Chorus is not on the current list of trade deals to be looked at for renegotiations, President Trump has mentioned it before when talking on international trade. The Nebraska Farm Bureau is sharing their report with the USDA and others to try and leave it in place as an ag trade deal that appears to be adding value and profit for Nebraska ag producers. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, let's get a closing comment from the Livestock Futures and Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Yeah, kind of a uh, funny day today. Uh, started off a little bit stronger in the cattle, but uh, kind of faded here at the end. Uh, appeared to be uh, some profit-taking. Uh, uh, plus the fact that the only trades that I've heard are at 126, so I think that came as a disappointment. Uh, uh, cutouts were higher again at noon, but uh, uh, still kind of a light trade in the boxes, so that uh, didn't really uh, help much, but... Uh, uh, we did kind of sell off. We closed just moderately higher in the cattle. The uh, February contract goes off tomorrow. It performed the best, uh, but uh, still well off its highs. Over in the uh, feeders, they performed just a little bit better. They were at some triple-digit gains, but it was a, kind of a quiet trade. In uh, uh, this all, despite the fact that the grains were higher. Um, so it, in... Uh, but uh, a pretty good performance uh, in the face of, uh, of that. Over in the hogs, going to finish mixed. Cash seemed to be steady a little bit better, but uh, uh, the cutouts were off a little bit at noon, and that kind of uh, took the uh, hogs back a bit uh, also during the latter part of the session. And we finished mixed the uh, nearby April uh, unchanged. Then we were a little lower uh, in the next two months, and then higher in the back end. So... Uh, kind of a choppy day uh, overall, and uh, let's see what kind of trade we end up with. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Change is coming in the way of the produce sector, but for many, it's going to end up being a good thing. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Commodity Classic is underway here in Anaheim, and I caught up with producer Mark Mason. Mark has over 8,000 acres of produce, and he said because of labor shortages, they're having to look at new ways to harvest, for example, lettuce. 
But he said this has also given them the opportunity to use less chemicals. Uh, yeah, that's correct. We're having um, trouble getting labor and filling up our crews, so that has pushed a lot of us in the industry to look to mechanization for um, things like uh, weeding or thinning of lettuce um, and even harvesting. But that mechanization in so many ways, though, is, is saving you dollars when it comes to chemical application, when it comes to growing a, a very healthy crop. Uh, mechanization well, hopefully would save us money. Um, yeah. I just because I, I want you to describe because we when we were talking before we started the interview, you were talking about going in and, and thinning out the lettuce and, and how from start to finish that computer remembers where everything is. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, on the thinning machine. So, yeah. So, we'll go through normally uh, lettuce would be planted in a row down a straight line and you plant extra seed due to bad germinate bad germination or environmental conditions you have to plant extra seed to get a stand um, and then that seed is then thinned out by a hand crew to get your spacing so let's say it's a nine and a half inch spacing okay so instead of having a crew now there's um there's what's called a thinning machine where you can um the it has cameras that looks at the field you you would you would put in the parameters of what you want. The machine would go through and try to get your spacing of the the nine and a half inches that you put in. Uh, so it has it's a chemical kill. It could either be chemical or fertilizer that would kill the plant. So you'd burn it with fertilizer or kill it with a chemical. And then you also have a spray tank that would be a save. So you have a kill and a save. So you would kill certain plants and then the saves would get sprayed with either a fungicide or some type of insecticide and um, and then uh, the computer then remembers what plants are left and you could essentially come back later uh, later in the crop and kill weeds that have come up um, you can kill everything but the crop because it knows where the crop is how much influence do you see the consumer and what they're wanting in a product affecting the way you farm? Uh, a lot. The consumer uh, will, well, it's the it would be our buyers, which would be like, a, say, a Costco or a Walmart. Um, so, you know, we're, we hear it from them, and I'm sure they hear it from the consumer. So they might have certain things they want us to do, certain insecticides that we shouldn't be using or that we should be minimizing. And um, based on what they have asked us to do, uh, then we try to accommodate that the best we can. That is my interview with California produce grower Mark Mason. Again, over 8,000 acres that he utilizes. And he said one of the new ways that they're harvesting using the mechanization is a stream of water actually will cut the head of lettuce. And he said that also helps with the coring process before it gets sent off for packaging and then delivered to the buyer. Commodity Classic is underway now in Anaheim, California. Be listening for reports from growers from across the nation. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Well, a lot of green on the screen today in the grain and soybean futures. Let's talk about this with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So, just like springtime temperatures go up, so do the grains. Hi, John. 
Yeah, we're getting a nice little batch of warm weather out this way. Uh, I assume you guys have gotten it. And down south, so that'll be in the wheat. It'll start to come up here and maybe look to confirm what we've been seeing. Uh, story this morning, really, the, the uh, crop conditions report. So got a little fuel for the bowl, finally. And I think that's uh, something that we'll need here over the next month. As you know, the lack of rainfall, that story gets very stale. And I think you look at global prices and the U.S. being above everybody, the, the kind of slow trade will be just have markets slowly come down. But when we start talking conditions, obviously the bulls are interested in buying. The next report won't be till the end of March. So you have the WASD report that will come out here in a few weeks. Uh, that will give us a reminder, I think, of maybe what the USDA is thinking. But it, it's still, I think, a little premature to get some sort of yield guess. I, I'm having a hard time pinning down a number by anybody. So I, I have a hard time believing the USDA is going to be able to successfully do it. One thing of note, July, Kansas City wheat, I believe, was right at a six-month high today. Yeah, yeah we're six, seven-month highs across the board, really, here uh, in, in beans, corn, and wheat. Uh, soy meal, obviously, the one uh, that's on fire here. That closed on its highs today. Uh, beans are the one I'm probably most interested in, especially old crop here. Uh, we had a forecast come out a couple hours ago that showed the t- two-week model. Now, that can be thrown, uh, you know, you can take that for what it's worth that they're, they are looking maybe to return to some normal rainfall in the middle part of March, early part of March. So that, that will be interesting to see. We've seen a real big push in the bull spreads, and I wouldn't be shocked to see the back of the curve hang in on a break where the front of the curve gives it all back. So, you know, if you're looking for a potential trade bear spread July versus November, it's a little bit of a dangerous play at this point. But, you know, 30 cents above, that's been a little bit of resistance for uh, – for the market here to, to take that old crop above. And if we can get a, a rain, it's still, I don't think it's too late to save the beans down there. So, um, you know, corn is another story, but beans, I think, have uh, some life left. Well, maybe corn does too when you consider we finally reached a threshold of $4 on December. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised my computer didn't explode. It, it uh, you know, we fought it so hard and we finally got there. And, you know, I think we'll go cruise through it and uh, probably trade up. I don't mean 410 on that March looks like a good spot for, for where highs are made in the last leg up here. But, uh, again, it's it's about acreage now and, and what the U.S. planning will be. Uh, unlike soybeans, we kind of have a good export story going. So, uh, you know, corn feels like there's some upside here. Uh, the fact that we didn't break into delivery is a really good sign. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.